Cropod sometimes contains language and themes which may not be suitable for everybody, but typically the Rangers from Sea to Shining Sea episodes are pretty clean. It's May of 1976. David Bowie has moved on from Young Americans and introduced the Thin White Duke with Station to Station. And the U.S. is gearing up to celebrate 200 years of throwing off the shackles of tyranny of King George III. And in the midst of the first presidential election campaign in a post-Watergate era, Gerald Ford is in Portland, Oregon on the 23rd of May. And so is the team from Glasgow as Rangers, fresh off the third treble in the club's history, are in town to take on the Portland Timbers, just months removed from taking part in the Soccer Bowl 75 in their very first season in the NASA NASL. And we're back for part three now of Rangers from Sea to Shining Sea as we're going to take a look at Rangers Stop in Portland in 1976. To episode three of Rangers from Sea to Shining Sea, a series here on the Crowpod Network, and of course available on Heart and Hand as well. And unlike the prior episodes of this, folks, you don't just have to listen to me talk or news clips or stuff like that. I brought in some special guests uh, coming back to help us with these. From now on, is going to be our old friend Gary Havlin, who you might know as the Rangers history account on Twitter, a former Crow friend of mine from the old website, uh, and just uh, all around. Goddamn expert when it comes to the history of the club. So Gary's coming back to join us for this series moving forward. And not only that, but we had a very nice man from Portland reach out who was at that match May 23rd of 1976, as well as, I mean, he was there for the very first Portland Timbers match back in 1975. A man by the name of Don Cox, who uh, gratefully agreed to take time out of his birthday to talk to us about this. So really, without any further ado, you know, I, I... try to set these things up in the past but uh, uh having these two people here today to, to really help us out you know obviously gary gary and to, to give us some uh well background on the club the season that the club had just finished again the the third treble uh in the club's history um yeah, not so great in europe but i think we're all used to that one by now uh it, and again don's uh don's knowledge of well just i mean just being there in the in the first days of the portland timbers so we're going to grab a quick break and we're going to get back and just jump right into Rangers in Portland in 1976. So there's John Gray. And there's the Scottish League Cup. 
the roar from the Rangers fans. No sign of the rest of the Rangers team. Sandy Jardin finally appearing behind him. Kicking off against Dundee United here at Tannadice. In the last 11 games, Dundee United have taken 15 points. But after that brave effort, they're still in relegation trouble. In contrast, Rangers with 23 games in a row without defeat are poised to win the first ever Premier Championship. And a chance for them in the opening seconds. Eric Johnston, after 21 seconds, puts Rangers ahead. looking at what he's watching. Episode 3 of Rangers from Sea to Shining Sea, the Crow Pod series about our North American tours of, of yesteryear. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm glad to have joining us for this episode. My, my old friend from the original uh, uh, Crow website there, our, our Rangers history uh, maven. You can always find him on Twitter at Rangers Facts, of course, Mr. Gary Havlin. Hi, Gary. Hi, Shane. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this one. Absolutely. That no, was great. It's nice to <laughs> nice to find something for us to work on again. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been a long time. Yeah. So, right, right. I mean, let's just get to it. 75, 76, uh, disappointing in Europe, but very, very nice on the domestic front with our with our third treble there. Absolutely. Like you say, third treble. Uh, previous trebles came before 1949, Struth, 1964 uh, with Scott Simon. So no, good to get the first of, of two trebles in three years, actually. Yep. We'd get a treble two years later in 78. So, uh, and of course, first season of the new style Premier League. Yeah, the, what, we, we clinched with a couple games left there, right? Wasn't uh, Tannadice on the, on the 24th of April? So we, we had a couple of rounds yeah. to kind of kick our heels up and just enjoy the ride. <laughs> well, that's right. We won at Tannadice, two games left. Uh, 1-0, DJ scored after 22 seconds believe it or not. And then the, the game that sealed it was Celtic uh, got beaten at Parkhead by Air United. Uh, and that, of course, that's what made us champions. And the guy who scored the goals for Air was a guy called Malcolm Robertson. He scored uh, Air United's both goals. And he uh, was the dad of Sandy Robertson, who oh. played uh, a few first-team games for Rangers in the 90s. Now, did they give us a guard? Because I know our next match was at, at Celtic Park there. Did, did, did we get a guard of honor off of them on 26 I April? Would suggest, <laughs> I would suggest we probably didn't. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that did work out, of course. You know, we'd, we'd beaten them uh, in the League Cup back in uh, in October there to, to clinch the first trophy. And then, uh, what was it, the the 1st of May, we had hearts to uh, to finish off the treble, right? Yep, that's right. First League Cup medal for John Gregg, believe it or not, uh, in October. Uh, that got us the League Cup, but kind of came at a bad time for us because, like you said, we didn't really have a good season in Europe. So St Etienne uh, beat us 2-0 in the midweek before the League Cup final, yep. uh, and Peter McCloy got injured. So we went into that game. Uh, in fact, Celtic had played in Portugal as well. So we went into that game. Both teams were pretty tired from the from the European exploits. And, of course, we won 1-0 uh, 
uh, Alan McDonald with that uh, great diving header from the from the penalty spot, uh, and that got us the the first trophy of, of the season. And then what? Uh, first and May there with Hearts, it was DJ again, right? And uh, and McDonald with the goals. Is that? Uh, yeah, DJ again, three one one against Hearts. It was, and again, it was an early goal from DJ. He scored in uh, forty four seconds. I think that was the one where he scored before three o'clock. Uh, forty four <laughs> seconds, and DJ DJ uh, scored the third goal, uh, and and we beat Hearts. We beat Hearts three one, and and that was the. That was the game that secured the secured the treble, which incidentally was the first of May. That was before, quite unusual. That was before the last league game of the season. Yeah, it was. Which, it was, yeah, which it was, was in the fourth of May. At home again. Yeah. And that again, that was Dundee United, and that was a, uh, and that was a nil nil draw. But actually, winning the league at Tannadice probably gives me one of my favourite bits of Rangers trivia because I think we we've now we've won the league title more times at Tannadice. And Dundee United have actually won the league. That's one of my favourite bits of Rangers trivia. That's beautiful. Hey, hey, uh, I'm going to say, to, uh, I went looking, of course, our friends over there at the Rangers Archives do a great job posting videos. They have a lovely 75 uh, 76 season review video. So by the time this show goes out, if you go down into the show notes there, there's going to be a link for uh, like some extended extended coverage of this. There'll be newspaper clippings and whatnot. But uh, they, they got a nice about a half hour video. Of footage from that season so i'll make sure i include that in there and that's all um that's all over on my buy me a coffee page which again if, if you guys like what we do here at the crow pod you can help us out at the buy me a coffee link and look every month we're giving away some cool stuff from graham over there at the famous because he's a very nice man and they make very nice stuff i i, I like to, i'm sure you have a few of graham's graham's things in your collection there guys I absolutely have, and they're just getting looked out for the winter coming round the corner here. <laughs> I know, I was, I was digging up my uh, my hats and everything. I was like, eh, it's it's September in a minute. It might be cold before I even think about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that time of year again. <laughs> well, that that's, uh, that's you know, the, the quick wrap there on the 75-76 season. Rangers, of course, take off uh, for, for this uh, five-day trip, uh, or five five five-date tour, I guess. It's more than a five-day trip of North America. Um, again, go, going to the Pacific Northwest there, the, was it May 18th, the first date in Vancouver. Uh, they play four days later in Seattle, and then down to Portland 18 hours later, which I still find a fucking amazing. Uh, <laughs> they, they go from Seattle to Portland to play a match in less than 18 hours. All three of these first ones, too, on artificial turf. And I, I think, I mean, the squad was a little bit banged up when we got there. And now, well, playing on playing on the 1970s style artificial turf certainly did us no favors from what I saw uh, from some of the news clippings that you rustled up there, I guess. Well, we only took 17 players over for the tour. So it's a pretty thin squad anyway. Four players were injured from the season. Sandy Jarvin, he didn't travel because he was resting up and getting treatment for a heel injury. And Peter McCloy, he was playing with an ankle injury for quite a bit of the season, uh, but he, he injured way back in the in the European Cup game against St Etienne. So we were pretty banged up to go and play in these Ashton pitches. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to grab quick here because I actually, as I said at the top, a friend of a friend here, Mr. Don Cox, who was there, I mean, there from the beginning of the Portland Timbers, there on this day for this match in 1976. We're going to hear a little bit from him just about, well, I mean, saying the scene of Portland and everything. And then uh, me and Gaz are going to come back here in a few minutes and uh, we'll tell you a little bit about the match. So we'll be right back.
right, uh, I'm talking here with Don Cox, a nice man from uh, Portland who was there from the very beginning of the Timbers. Uh, tracked him down through some friends of mine out there and uh, come on to, to talk to us uh, well, just about those early days in Timbers history. I mean, I think um, the Rangers, when they got there, we're, we're talking about the second year of the Timbers. Don, I think the first year had been a, a well a massive success, right? I mean, you lost, I mean, the, the, the soccer bowl to Tampa, but uh, your first year in NASL there in 1975 was – was filled with uh, Vic Crow bringing a bunch of uh, well, a bunch of really good players from England over to fill out the roster, right? That's right. We uh, had an excellent year. The attendance grew all throughout the year to massive crowds by the end of the season. And uh, as you said, we went to Soccer Bowl, and uh, unfortunately, the pitch we played on wasn't to our advantage, and <laughs> so we, we couldn't get the offensive efforts going with the crosses because the field was so skinny but uh overall it was just a fantastic year in my first year to in, be introduced to the sport of soccer and it i loved it from the first match and got into it more and more each year and how you always hear about uh, one particular thing you experience in life may change your life well that certainly did my first match so <laughs> so uh, uh, i i I um I, I'd read too throughout the playoffs they actually had to keep expanding the the, the capacity of the Civic Stadium because more and more people were you know starting to discover it and I think you know you still see it now I mean obviously there's some issues with the Timbers support because of the club's inability to manage off field issues currently but yep. the, by far one of the most passionate supports and it's always I mean to me at least it's always seemed like that from the very beginning go, going back to those NASL days. Yes, uh, we started, I think the attendance at that first match and the pouring down rain where I was sitting under a gutter that was spilling over and coming <laughs> down on me. But uh, there's about 8,000, if I recall correctly, on that May night against Seattle. And uh, then through the course of the season, we got into the mid-teens for attendance and then the 20s. And then the first playoff game against Seattle was... Uh, 28,000, I think I recall something around that number. And Jeez. they had brought in portable bleachers to put on the east side of the field when they had the kind of like the uh, green wall of Boston was our east <laughs> wall of the, of the Jansen Street swimmer uh, icon sitting on the wall over there. And uh, they brought the bleachers in for that one, and then they had to do – even more by the time we played St. Louis in the championship or the semifinal. Right. Uh, and uh, I was sitting on the east side for that game in the up above, but uh, they brought in many more bleachers. That one had 30-some thousand. So, yeah, it just grew from eight up to 31 by the end of the year. So uh, what what happens here in 75, of course, like I said, uh, you got Vic Crow, the, the former Villa captain and manager. He, he brought all these players over. Uh, I think I might mention her, Pierre Witt, who, of course, scored the, uh, the European Cup winning goal for Villa in uh, in 82. But uh, I want to say, what, Willie Anderson, uh, Graham Day, Barry Powell, uh, and, and some other names that people know. But the team, well, basically did too well in its first season. <laughs> and from what I could tell, Crow it, it kind of kept these players on loan for a little bit longer than NASL perhaps would have wanted. And so basically by the time 1976 season comes around, uh, you, you, you're kind of screwed to the floor in terms of, of talent available. Is that, is that pretty much how that one went down? 
Yeah, in my recollection, it wasn't necessarily the NASL that was unhappy. I think it was the English teams that loaned them to us for <laughs> kind of <laughs> not, not not enough time back for preseason. Too much time in Portland, right? <laughs> yep. So, uh, and I remember reading the articles about all that loaning issue and what players may be here for playoffs and so forth. So it was a little nervous time for me as a supporter because we wanted to keep those guys through that year and. Uh, I wouldn't say the success came uh, too soon and uh, was a detriment because it definitely caught the interest, the type of players we had, the kind of coach we had, yeah, the efforts they made for outreach and just the connection with the fans that first year carried us through those next years when the record wasn't quite as good. And unfortunately, by the 80s, then uh, things in the league, NASL, started to go bad and so uh, then had to live without soccer for a few years here. Yeah. Now, now I was looking at 76. It, it, you guys did start off well. Uh, and Rangers show up. It was on uh, May 23rd. We, we'd actually played in Seattle uh, less than 18 hours before. So from Seattle on a bus down to down to play Portland uh, in front of about 11,500. And uh, Chris, Chris Dangerfield, who again would, would go back to England and have some kind of career, he'd, he'd actually given you guys a lead. Now, I know, you know, me and you talking, you didn't remember specifics from the match, but you were there on that day, right? Yes. Uh, I, being, again, new to soccer the previous year and knowing that these players came over from the United Kingdom and the different players from Scotland, Ireland, and England and Wales and all from over there. And then of course, later on Pele and Robbie Resenbrink and all these other players, you knew Europe was kind of the place where it was most popular. So that's where I started to you know read more about those teams. So you knew about the, or I knew was learning about that uh, rivalry, that little small rivalry of uh, <laughs> Celtic and Rangers. But. <laughs> that, that doesn't quite match up your Seattle-Portland one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it does over there, but over over here, Seattle-Portland is intense. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, you know, we, we just finished a treble, um, but maybe not the most uh, uh, iconic or important visitors to Portland on the day. Now, I, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, talking talk with Mike, Michael uh, Orr, Another very good uh, Portland man who's helped me out here. Gerald Ford was in Portland on the same day campaigning while uh, Ronald Reagan was out in uh, Corvallis. So did, did you get to go see Gerald Ford on the day before going to watch Rangers play Portland there? At the... I, I didn't get to see Gerald, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, he, he, Mike, Mike, Mike tied together some great information. Like I said, I threw it out and – couple of my friends got me in touch with Don and Mike right off the bat. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess, I mean, here, here we are. What, what you guys got now? Four, 45 years under the books, right? Give or take. If I'm doing yeah, 47 four, years, 47 years. Yeah, it's getting, yeah, right around that. Now, and you guys still play in the same, the same ground. I, I don't, you know, uh, most, um, well, certainly here in the U.S., but most of the soccer-specific stadiums were all built in the past 15 years or so, and they all look exactly the same. I, I don't know how many you've gotten around to uh, across the country, but, I mean, by and large, they, they all appear to be the exact same ground. Now, now your guys' stadium there, from what uh, from what I get, was complete in, what, 1923 was when they put up the first grandstand? Right, and, and 
we like to point out that it wasn't originally a baseball stadium, as a lot of people like to say it was a baseball stadium. Well, it got that reputation because of the AAA Beavers being here for years and being the main person there. But it was football, it was dog racing, it was ski jumping, but it, way back it was soccer. Yeah, And so soccer actually goes back quite a ways here in Oregon. You know, I'm not one of those people that, like I said, knew about it until my freshman year in college. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually I, I, the, I, I, the ground. The uh, it always has felt special. Yeah. The the one detriment of the stadium is the beams that are there from the 1920s that hold the roof up. So there are some limited viewing seats. Yeah. But for a stadium having soul, you can't do any better than what our stadium brings and the way the timbers army has grown through the years that soul has just been enhanced and when i've gone around to some of those others you know you go to seattle it still feels like a football stadium it's an impressive atmosphere but it is yeah. a nfl stadium right i had that same feeling when i went to atlanta for mls cup down there you know it's it's a nice atmosphere in the kind that they like you know i like the more authentic uh, no piped in music and all those kind of things. Just leave it to the fans. And and uh, I've gone to Colorado and my feel and I was at the uh, Chicago Stadium as well before they moved this past year. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know if you noticed, they actually went back to Bridgeview for the past oh, few they weeks. Did. Yeah, because the you pitch know, at Soldier <laughs> Field is so bad that it is completely <laughs> unplayable now. So, uh, yeah. so I didn't know about that. So, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> The thing I felt, uh, kind of what you said, is all those new ones seem to be cookie cutters, and they just didn't feel any soul there. It was kind of plastic. and <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, that you know, for, for being soccer-specific, they're all also multi-use in so much as they're built to True. hold concerts, too. You know? Yeah. Where, yeah. Whereas, you know, your stadium, yes, it was used by the Beavers and was used for other sporting events, but it was always designed with sports in mind. Um and, and True, think, but we did we did we did uh, have Elvis sing there, and oh. uh, and that's one of the reasons why we uh, sing uh, Wise Men at the end of the match at 88th minute. <laughs> very nice as a recall to back when Elvis played. That's, that, 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 that's better than your green is the color tune. Well, you know, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll ignore that one today. But. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, so I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, you, you guys went through the problems there with NASL, but came back in, in 2011. I want to say what, the first match there was the Chicago Fire, right? If I remember yes. correctly. Bring down rain, and we were waiting yep. outside the stadium for hours to get in. Yep. <laughs> and that was the what? That, that was the first top level match in about 30 years, right? Because it would have been 82 when NASL basically folded. It was 80, 82, I think. I never remember years that well anymore yeah. at my age. Today is my 66th birthday. Oh, good so. luck. Happy birthday, Doc. Cheers. <laughs> Thank thanks, thanks for taking time. <laughs> but we uh, we uh, had that gap where we had some of the University of Portland players. That's what I did in the non-professional years is I started going out to University of Portland and watching Clive Charles's teams that he coached out there, both women and men. And so I got to watch people like Casey Keller and Gold before he became pro and, right, right. and all that. So that kept my soccer fix going. And then my kids all ended up 
playing in league. So I ended up helping coach and uh, they had a coaches team. So I ended up playing code soccer for 30 years. And <laughs> so like I say, that one first match I went to changed my life in many ways. And, but uh, we uh, came back with a league that's now the USL. Right. Was that and like so, 2001 or so yep. around then? So yeah. that, yep. So that's when I started back at the stadium and back with the Timbers and, and then of course moving to, MLS in 2011. So. It's been fairly successful. Like I said, you know, there's a couple off-field issues lately. But, uh, I, I, I mean, how is that, you know, like I said, I have friends out there. I talk to them on Twitter. talk to them via email, messenger, and stuff like that. But I haven't really had a chance to, to have a conversation with any of them. I mean, how how is that, I guess, on the ground there right now? I mean, have you been one of the people boycotting this year? Or are you, you still going to the ground? I still go to the ground. Uh, probably, um, what I would say is I have the experience of the NASL folding and yeah. being without my pro team for years and missing it. Yeah. So I have a little more sympathy for, you know, the corporate owners and needing to make some money to keep the league around. Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely, uh, don't like the issues that they've had with uh, Riley and then yeah. the polo thing has kind of blown up and now the internal management things. And so, you know, that's definitely put a damper on excitement and you go, to, you go to the ground, you still want to support the players and I still want to keep this team around. So I'm going to, I'll be one that goes to the matches, but uh, the, the enthusiasm level, you can feel it. It's not up to where it was. And this, you know, it used to be hard to find a seat. I've had three to four season tickets ever since MLS started. And my son also has three to four. And and uh, it used to be if you couldn't make a match, you'd have people clamoring for your tickets. Yeah. And yeah. For the, Ever since the pandemic, you know, the pandemic is a big thing too, but ever since then and now these issues, uh, it's hard to find any takers. And so you donate them to the 107 us and hopefully they can find some takers. But yep. so it's that. And then a lot of the originals that I grew up with in the army, they've not renewed their tickets. So, you know, when I read about, you know, the Eric Bergs and people like that, that aren't renewing and Mike Coleman and all these guys that were dedicated army folks for years and even on the boards, it's disheartening. Right. And so I, I don't know, you know, what it's going to take to get out of the situation, but I hope it comes soon. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we went through for completely different reasons, a similar situation with a, uh, abject board at times. So, uh, you know, w- w- one last thing I got to ask you about is the feral cats. Now, I don't, I know for years they were there, but I, I thought I'd heard at some point they went through like a, a trap neuter return program. So is, are there still, do you still have the feral cat colony at the stadium? That, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> when I've uh, had the rare opportunity to get down below, I was down there for MLS cup. I was one of the volunteers who, uh, carried out unfortunately the nyfc banner ah. 
And, yeah. But it was funny to watch the cup tip over while I was doing that. <laughs> yeah, we, we were but, watching that at the bar here. <laughs> but as I, the, I don't know if you have time, but the, the funny thing about that is during the Friday practice for all of us volunteers, it was dry. It was cool, but it was dry. Not much of a breeze. Yeah. But we knew what the forecast was for game day. I it, it looked and we were all talking about how's this really going to be pulled off on game day? What's the contingency plan? And no one was telling us any contingency plans. <laughs> that, that was so, the thing, you know, I mean like watching it here on TV cuz they were holding the game up for uh I think it was was it UCLA and UConn were playing or so it was a women's college basketball game. And then they, they finally got going, and like I was looking at the weather because it, it was just getting progressively worse. And I like yep. not even being there, I had the same thoughts that you were like, yeah, it was supposed okay. to be 40 to 50 mile per hour winds and pouring yes. down rain. And I'm thinking, <laughs> how are they going to hold that cup up to that? <laughs> and and so, now we know they didn't. <laughs> and my banner crew, we were we were under the stands right outside the referee locker room. Okay. And, and our uh, person from France, our Paris, France choreographer, was telling us, okay, we've got a hold. We have to wait for five or ten minutes. And I could peek through the door and I could see that cup problem. And I'm thinking, that must be why we're being held. It wasn't until I got home later and found out, no, it was a basketball game. Yep. <laughs> Good Lord. But it, anybody anybody listen here, I will make sure, I will post a video of this in the show notes because it was epically funny watching it just on the television. But back to the cats. Uh, yeah, that trip underneath the stadium for that match, so I didn't see any cats. <laughs> yeah, that because well, I'd actually read somewhere that they maybe even been there before the stadium was built. That that just that would, that would always been a home to like a feral cat colony in in the park area there. So. Yeah, and that was one of our big, not big stories, but stories that get passed around in the early days of the army is about the feral cats. And <laughs> our, one of our army guys, General Howie, his ashes got scattered down. In, underneath there so yeah. Jeez. <laughs> i did see cats on that trip <laughs> so we can't confirm their presence to this day though. <laughs> well don thanks so much for, for taking the minute here like i said you know yeah. we, we try to with these shows provide a little context and color about the the club that we want to see not not just what rangers were there to do so okay. i appreciate you taking time in the middle of your day happy birthday yep. again thank you and uh that's it don cox thank you very much Thank you. Wise men say Only fools rush in But I can't help Falling in love with you Welcome back into uh, part three here again. Thank you to Don Cox for, for taking time. I could not believe this Gary. It was, it was a 66th birthday. He actually took time out to talk to me for 15 or 20 minutes about <laughs> the, the early days of the Portland Timbers. But uh, oh, here we are uh, again, tw- 23rd May. Uh, you, you know, you've got Gerald Ford in town in Portland for, for the big occasion of Rangers coming to come to town to, to play in this friendly, <laughs> I, you know, they, they say he was there campaigning against Reagan, but uh, yeah, that he, I think we all know why he was actually around. So um, I and, want to beat John Gregg. 
Yeah, that was it. Yes, yes. Got Jim Reynolds there covering it for the Herald and, you know, try, trying to track down uh, <laughs> Gerald Ford. But, no, I mean, it's a, it's a 2-1. Uh, I mean, it's, it's um, well, again, the playing back-to-back matches in 18 hours on turf with a, a very tired, very, well, at this point, injury-ridden squad. Uh, I, I don't think they got quite the affair. And, uh, well, we, we, we do have a, a moment here fairly early on uh, that, that uh, well kicks everything off at at that Providence well at the Civic Stadium at the time as they called it. Yeah, as you say, eighteen hours since the match before in Seattle, and <laughs> believe it or not, just just as an aside, the famous Dave Smith, one of the Barca Bears, he was playing for Seattle the day before. Oh yeah, uh, against, against Rangers. Yeah, uh, but seventeen players, four of them injured. Peter McCoy had a he had a dodgy ankle. So we, we took some boys. Jock Wallace wanted to take some boys for experience. So he took Ian Monroe, uh, Alex O'Hara, uh, and Kenny Watson. Uh, he took them with him. He said that uh, we're only taking one goalkeeper because we want to make room for a youngster to get to get the experience. And we actually did need the boys uh, in this, uh, at the end of this game, really, to make the difference. Because Jock Wallace, he only made one change, surprisingly enough. Despite being banged up, we only made one change from the, the previous match the other day, and that was Colin Steen, yeah. and he came in for Colin Jackson, where Derek Johnson lined up at centre-half, but it didn't really freshen things up because Portland just came out all-out attack and kind of dominated us for, for long spells of the game. Well, you know, Vic Crow here, the, the ex-Villa player, Villa captain who's a manager. I mean, there are some names, you know, as me and Don talked about there during our chat, on the side of the probably most notably Pierre With, who, again, scored the, the winner for the uh, for Aston Villa in the 82 European Cup final. Um, yeah, so, famous, I mean, there, there, there's, there, there was some actual talent in this in this Portland side as right now. Now, they're all about to go back to England right at the same time that we're about to head home to Scotland, but they're still there for this match. And it's, I mean, it's it was an affair. It, it was a The Evening evening Times journalist who was covering the match described it as a tough and uncompromising match. I don't know if that had anything to do with their their main man in this game, uh, as was described the journalist, was a former Celtic player called Pat McMahon. Yeah, Yeah, he was the the, the captain of the side. He had them all uh, riled up to give give the Rangers a hard game. And of course, they, they took the lead. They just came right at us. They took the lead after 24 minutes. Uh, by a striker named Dangerfield, <laughs> who That's... scored from who scored from twenty yards to make it one 0 for Portland. Yep. Well, and, and then uh, well, it, it, here comes here comes the big incident of this match because after that we kept Bruce Riach's little brother uh, apparently decided uh, Dottie's ankles need to be rearranged according to, <laughs> according to the match reports here. <laughs> yep. It's got here in the Herald. The Herald wrote he assaulted Ali McDonald, jumped <laughs> over the ball and sent him flying. But that's not the best bit. The best bit was every Rangers player except Peter McCoy made for Rear, who ran for his life off of the pitch. But he wouldn't <laughs> come back on. He wouldn't come back onto the pitch and Joel, until Jock Wallace had assured him that he wasn't in any danger from the Rangers players. So it was Jock Wallace who had to calm the Rangers players down. So they must have been quite irate if it's uh, Jock Wallace who's calming them down. Yeah, it, it, yeah, there's a note here I believe in the Herald story that you brought too that again, Vic Crow, uh, the, the manager there, actually apologized after the fact for, for uh, Neil Rios' challenge here. That's right. Um, he, he came back onto the pitch and he, and he, he got booked 
you only got a booking for it, so it's uh, Wally, Wally Collum before his time. <laughs> well, or, or, or I don't know, it might be like the uh, the, the challenge and the, uh, the the Youth Cup match that we just had there tonight. Oh, that, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just saw that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Not, yeah, not so looking we, good we, for Alex only got booked for it. No, that's um, ugh, you hate seeing that. You hate seeing that. It was a horrible one. There was absolutely no need for it as well. No. Nah, you know, it's when you're getting done by a 19 year old, maybe you should just take it instead of uh trying to end his well, career before it gets started. Uh, you know, seven nil down in the 89th minute, yeah, absolutely no need for it. No, but uh, no, so Rangers here they they do come back. Uh, I'm trying to the yes. goal scorers here are yeah, we, uh, was it McLean and then uh, O'Hara with the winner, right? O'Hara came on the winner, so just after uh, Bruce Rio's young brother. I saw Tim McDonald. I think the reports in it certainly suggested that both teams made a raft of substitutions just to try and calm the game down a bit. So Rangers put uh, made three subs, and Alex O'Hara being one of them, and he came on and he scored uh, in the last minute to make it two the Rangers with a back heel. Yep. And great news for Rangers because that kept for unbeaten run going uh, going from uh, earlier on in the season. I think we went unbeaten from the middle of December all the way through. And then that last minute winner made it thirty matches unbeaten since the middle of December, and now we're in the now we're at the end of May. Yeah, well, and there was something here I found in um, some of the Portland accounts of the game that there were some questions of uh, well whether it was offside or not. But I think I think part of the problem with this, um, NASL at the time played with a offside line, kind of kind of like uh, ice hockey does. Um, right. So it, it had nothing to do with the position of players. It, it, they played with a line 35 yards out from the goal, which was the, the, the marking of, you know, you couldn't be beyond that receiving the ball in an offside yeah. position. So uh, I, I'm sure it caused a, a little bit of confusion in terms of how they set up defensively. I, they, they couldn't quite play the trap that they were used to with a set marker to, to do this on. Well, so. no VAR in 1976 and still no, no VAR in Scotland in 2022. <laughs> To be yeah, fair, again, the, the VAR in Scotland wouldn't really fix much when, uh, you know, you're just getting players <laughs> sent off. If you've already dropped the points, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, but yeah, no, O'Hara, again, just 19 years old, though. Yeah, I found, I found it here. From the Oregonian, uh, was disputed by several Portland players as an offside, which wasn't called. But, uh, no, it was, yeah, the 32nd consecutive match competitive or friendly that Rangers uh, hadn't lost. And uh, the, the the Portland Timbers keeper on the day actually, uh, I, I think he got the man the match from the uh, from the local press there, uh, notching up nine saves. So it could have been worse. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think it said the report service just Portland had the better of it until we put on the three young boys. Yeah. Uh, after after McDonald got got assaulted, so maybe that maybe that spurred them on to to come back and get the victory. Yep. Well, and Chris Dangerfield there, of course, the twenty-year-old who would go back to England and have some some kind of a career. But he he would be that this is Portland's first ever match against European competition, uh, which is pretty incredible. I mean, it's, this is now uh, you know as far as the fan base and everything goes, one of the more storied clubs in well the American soccer, at least one of the ones you know that again they they wear the wrong colors, but we can't hold that against them. <laughs> but uh, now it's over 40 different Portland Timbers players that have scored. Um, so, and actually, uh, Dangerfield, last I checked, he'd, he'd come back. I think he still works uh, in MLS as a color commentator for the uh, one of the California sides. So he, uh, he, he did make his home over here uh, after returning to England for a little while. But, um, yeah, that's uh, 
that's it. Rangers then pack up, hop on a plane, head over to uh, Minneapolis uh, to take on the Minnesota Kicks and uh, finish up the tour in Toronto on May 30th before returning home to, to actually get a little bit of an offseason in before before coming back to, to start the defense of the treble, which uh, obviously didn't do. But, you know, <laughs> still, what, one more tour under the belt, the first one since 1930. Um uh, the, the, which, of course, is the tour that the first two programs of the series are about. If Again, if you've missed those, you scroll down to the show notes. I'll make sure I put links for them in there. So, uh, I don't know, Gaz, you, you got any more notes on this one here? Uh, on the Minnesota game? No, no, just you know, the tour in general. Oh, on this you know, like I said, we'll, uh, we'll, no. we'll probably come back and do a couple more. Uh, definitely the Seattle game. We're, we're coming back for that one because that's one of the first events in the Kingdom, which is – a. Of course, the original home stadium of my baseball team, the Seattle Mariners. So we will be back for that one. But I, I don't know. I, I, we'll, we'll probably come back and do some more of this tour later, I think. It's it's a pretty good one. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm all noted out for the Portland game. Perfect. All right. That's that's <laughs> it, then. That's it. Uh, of course, like I said, Gary, you can always find that on Twitter. He's at Rangers Facts on the Rangers History page. Here. Good, good old buddy of ours from the Crow Days. And, Gary, I'm happy to have you back from this series. We, we've already... For, for anybody worried about a, a, a delay in between episodes now, we've already started working on the next two. We, we've got our list going, so we, we are working out these shows already. There, there won't be the, the lengthy delay like we have between the Chicago and the Fall River Series. But, uh, Gary, again, thank you. I mean, it's been great. Obviously, you know, I used your research in both those original shows, and uh, it's just it's good to have you here finally to, to provide a, a little bit more context. I think you're you're better at telling the story than I am at relating the information as you just hand it to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. Looking forward to the rest of the series. No, no, I think it'll be good. And of course, again, thank you to John Cox uh, there with, with uh, from the Portland uh, Timbers fan base there, the Timbers Army, who, who came on to do an interview. And I got to give special thanks to, to Michael Orr and Mike Donovan. They're both, uh, well, they're kind of like Gary's for the Portland Timbers, and they were more than... More than happy to share their, their knowledge and information and everything that uh, obviously we use to put this series together. So that's going to be it for episode three of Rangers from Sea to Shining Sea. Please, again, if you do like what we do here on the Crow Pod, scroll down, hit the Buy Me a Coffee link. And again, if, if you want to see other news clippings or the uh, the the, uh, the archive, the Rangers archive footage there uh, from the 75-76 season, that's also down there in the, in the same stuff. So... Take a look, Gaz. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody else, thanks again. And that's it. Bye. Some people call me the space cowboy.